Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, Invisalign, the first choice for open by correction with Dr. Bill Geary. You will learn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificates at the conclusion of Dr. Geary's presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor's site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note that you are able to listen to today's program via the webcast, as well as dialing in via telephone. At the end of Dr. Geary's presentation, those of you who have dialed in by phone will be able to ask both live and text questions, and those of you listening via the webcast may only ask questions via text. I apologize in advance if we were unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today at AlignTechInstitute.com, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Bill Geary. Dr. Geary received his Doctor of Dental Surgery degree and a Certificate in Orthodontics from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He has been providing quality orthodontics in Wilmington, North Carolina area since 1998. As part of the Invisalign Speakers Bureau, Dr. Geary lectures across the country. He also speaks to local study clubs and has served as a guest lecturer in the Department of Orthodontics at the University of North Carolina. He has published research on tooth eruption with Dr. William R. Prophet and contributed Invisalign material to the fourth edition of Contemporary Orthodontics. He's been, featured, uh, he's been a featured speaker at the 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2010 Invisalign Summit for Orthodontics and is also an Invisalign Elite Preferred Provider. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Dr. Bill Geary. Dr. Geary, you now have the floor. Great. Thank you very much, David. Um, it is 71 degrees and beautiful here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, I'm, I'm in shorts and flip-flops in my office and uh, really enjoying the fact that I don't have to travel anywhere today. Um, so let's get right into the presentation. Um, It'll, it'll take us about an hour to get through this, and then we'll have plenty of time for questions at the end. So my topic today is Invisalign, the first choice for open bite correction. Um, David uh, went over my background, so I'm, I'm going to just uh, breeze through this slide quickly. Uh, the one thing that may have changed a little bit is, is uh, for the last two years, I've been uh, adjunct faculty in the Department of Orthodontics at, at UNC, uh, and my focus there with the, what I teach the residents is basically Invisalign and then also diode laser use. All of my slides are numbered and uh, at the bottom right-hand corner. So if you have a question about a specific slide you see, jot the number down uh, so that when you ask or text your question, uh, you can refer to that. And, and if we need to, we can go back to the slide. Um, I, I do own shares of Align Technology. Uh, and when I speak for Align, I'm, I'm compensated by the Speakers Bureau. Uh, these are my three children, Leah, Patrick, and Vince. Uh, that's who I'm really working for. Uh, I do have a disclaimer. Uh, what I'm going to show you today are my opinions, and they're based on my, my personal experience using the Invisalign system. I would caution you that if you employ these techniques on a consistent basis that you may experience the same success or failure as the presenter. Why is Invisalign the first choice for open bites? Um, you know, I've pretty much gotten to the point now. Um, I started using Invisalign in 2000. So now coming up on 11 years of use where any, just about any open bite patient, I would prefer to use uh, aligners uh, versus braces. And there are, there are a couple of reasons for that. One, the occlusal coverage really gives us good control of the vertical dimension. 
the thickness of the aligner plastic itself gives us a, a slight intrusive force on the on the posterior teeth. And one of the, the huge benefits uh, is if you're also trying to expand posteriorly in a case, particularly a case that has a crossbite or a crossbite tendency, uh, when you do that with braces, the tendency uh, is to open the bite up as as the cusps are uh, sliding uh, on, you know, cuspal inclines are sliding past one another. The tendency is to open the patient's bite up, and we avoid that uh, when we're trying to do posterior expansion with aligners. There are a few methods that we can close an open bite non-surgically. We can use relative extrusion, and we'll talk about each of these examples, uh, absolute anterior extrusion. Absolute posterior extrusion. So let's uh, talk about the first example, relative extrusion. This is where the incisal edge of the tooth appears to extrude due to an angulation change in the tooth. People have described it as the drawbridge effect, and so if you look at my two lines uh, below the, the text on this slide, what I've done is I've, I've basically just changed the angulation uh, by 10 degrees of both, you know, these are uh, meant to simulate an upper and lower incisor that have been uprighted by 10 degrees each. And so what you can see is that, you know, the, the open bite in those two lines or the, the, uh, appears to close, and that's basically just due to the angulation change. Uh, here's a relative extrusion example. This is a patient that I treated uh, who had anterior open bite, increased overjet, and crowding. Uh, Christy was, was about, she was 24 years old when I saw her. She, she had had orthodontics as a teenager. And uh, when her orthodontics was completed, uh, her open bite was, or at least she reported that it was closed. And so she came to me, um, and this is an older case now, uh, I think it was around 2002 when I treated her. And we can see that she has an anterior open bite and also has a, a reverse smile arc. So her upper incisors don't follow the curvature of the lower lip. They actually are a reverse uh, smile arc. Uh, on the Panorex, uh, we see that she has some wisdom teeth. Um, typically, with with open bite closures, if you've got wisdom teeth that are that are not functional, they're usually interferences, and, and many times you're, you're you're best best off having those removed. We see from her uh, head film that she has a skeletal component to her open bite. Uh, the mandibular plane angle is is steep. Um, she has uh, uh, and also the posterior palatal plane is is tipped down slightly. Now, this was uh, her ClinCheck that, that I approved at the time. Again, this is from 2002. Um, I, I would typically not use vertical attachments uh, in, in uh, assisting extrusion, um, to, especially to help extrude incisors. Uh, and this was really a mistake in this ClinCheck, and, and I'll share that with you. Um, you know, I, I look back at my, my notes on this case. Again, it's from you know, almost eight years ago. And I had requested horizontal attachments and they came back vertical, and I, I left them like that. So in, in actuality, these attachments that I'm using, and I'll run through the ClinCheck, really should not help. Uh, they won't hurt, but they're, they're really not assisting the extrusion uh, very much. Let's run through it one more time. This is a lot of maxillary incisor extrusion, uh, and you know, the, I used the, the default rates of movement at the time. Um, I did have simultaneous tooth movement in this case. That was before, uh, that was a default in the system, but uh, basically 19 upper and 10 lower aligners, which amounts to about nine and a half months of, of treatment time. The occlusal views.
and do that lower one again. Here we go. And so here we have the patient at the end of nine and a half months. There was no refinement in this case. No, no auxiliaries uh, were used, no braces, no elastics of any kind, just aligners and attachments uh, on the four incisor teeth. And here we have on the, uh, the top, um, or the, on the left side of the screen, we have uh, the patient photos versus ClinCheck and then final photos versus ClinCheck. And one of the things you can see from this occlusal view is that the upper incisors appear to be you know, much more upright in the in the final photos on the on the right side, and and this is this is the essence of relative extrusion. You basically are um, you know creating an angulation change in the tooth, and and that um, that gives you the appearance of of elongating the teeth. Um, again, here's mandibular versus clincheck before and after. And on the final panorex, you can see that we've had our wisdom teeth removed. And then here is the final ceph, and you can see that we now have um, some positive overbite. Uh, if we look at the initial uh, ceph versus the initial clincheck, and then the final ceph superimposed with the final clincheck. Now, these are Christie's before and after pictures, and you know, one of the things you notice is that she does have a gummy smile, um, and in her case, we basically had to make a, a, a treatment planning decision. Uh, you know, she did not want jaw surgery. Um, you know, that would have been one of my choices in terms of impacting the maxilla to reduce the, the uh, vertical maxillary excess. Uh, but you notice in the before and after picture on smile that, that her smile arc is now more in harmony with the lower lip. It actually follows the lower lip now, and... Um, you know, even though she still has some vertical maxillary excess, her smile is, is more attractive because of the, the consonants between the smile arc and the lower lip. Let me run through that one more time. I was able to take long-term follow-up uh, pictures on Christy. We see you know, her initial, final, and then uh, I ran into her at a restaurant uh, was a few, several months ago. And uh, actually, uh, she had she told me that she had lost her retainer and not been wearing one. Uh, so I got her to come in, and we we actually ordered her an Invisalign retainer off of her last stage because um, uh, her upper right lateral incisor had started to slip back a little bit. Um, but I took these six-year follow-up photos on her. To show the stability, you know, even though she had stopped wearing her upper retainer, she's in a bonded lower retainer. Um, but six years later, she's still stable. And, and the reason for that is that we know that relative extrusion is a very stable movement. And this brings me to another example of, of relative extrusion. And so here we have a patient who um, is, a, is a physician and is getting, getting ready to, to get married and has given me a rather short time frame uh, until the wedding uh, to, to get her teeth looking better. And we, we talked about several options for this patient. Um, I offered uh, Heather uh, a, a surgical option. Um, we, we basically would have either done a, a single or, or two-jaw procedure for her. Uh, she was not interested in that option. We talked about uh, extracting um, upper first premolars. And I actually used ClinCheck as my therapeutic diagnostic tool. 
I brought her in and I showed her, here's what uh, upper premolar extractions would look like, here's what slenderizing in the upper arch would look like, and she chose the slenderizing option, uh, and for a couple reasons. One, uh, it would mean that she would not have extraction spaces, and two, it would get her uh, her front teeth straighter or straight faster. And so since since the wedding was sort of her motivating um, event in her life for her to get uh, to even come in for an Invisalign consultation, um, she wanted uh, to do things as, as expeditiously as possible. So we, we basically used slenderizing in the upper arch to treat her as a, a sort of class two camouflage patient. And, and we used the space that we generated to upright the incisors uh, and essentially relatively extrude them. We can see on her Panorex that she has one uh, wisdom tooth. Um, I tried to get her to have that removed prior to the um, Invisalign, but she um, she wanted to keep it. So it, it's it's not functional since it doesn't have an opposing tooth, so it wasn't contributing to any open bite. It just makes it harder to get an impression. And here we see on the uh, head film X-ray, um, you know, this is a pretty significant open bite. Those uh, upper and lower incisors are very far apart. Uh, she's got a, a palatal plane that's tipped down posteriorly, um, also high angle. And these are the kinds of patients where if you put this patient in braces uh, instead of Invisalign, you will, in six months of initial alignment, she will mo most likely open up even more than she is now. And here we have our ClinCheck from the anterior view and also from the right buckle view, which, which sort of gives us a, a better uh, view of the relative extrusion. Uh, for Heather, we had 22 aligners, uh, no refinement in her case. Uh, we we bonded the attachments on the incisors. This is what I was using uh, up until uh, the new optimized attachments came out for incisor extrusion. So you'll see that these are um, these are beveled uh, horizontal beveled attachments, and there and and I would place them at the incisal edge uh, at the time I was using those. I pretty much have switched to uh, the optimized attachments for incisor extrusion at this point. Um, I will caution you, though, it, because the optimized attachments are placed automatically, if you have a tooth with a short crown, like a lateral incisor, uh, if, if you'll notice sometimes that the optimized attachment may be placed uh, maybe a little more gingival than ideal. And if you, if you run into that because of a short clinical crown, you can opt to use a different attachment and, and move it down a little uh, more incisally. And the reason you don't want it too close to the gingival uh, edge of the aligner is the aligner plastic is, is quite weak there, and it does not interface very well uh, with the uh, attachment on the tooth. And so here's Heather uh, after her 22 aligners. And typically with a patient like that, they'll wear each aligner for two weeks. Uh, I, I usually have them wear the last two aligners for three weeks. Um, so in her case, um, she had about um, you know 46 weeks of treatment total. So a little less than a year to get her to this point. And we see on the final Panorex, still has the wisdom tooth. And here is the uh, initial Ceph on the left versus the initial ClinCheck. And then on the right side, I have the final Ceph, uh, which, again, for camouflage and, and not extracting teeth, I think we've gotten a good reduction in, in both the overjet and also close the open bite. And you'll notice with the superimposition tool enabled on the, the ClinCheck on the upper right, 
um, how much relative extrusion we've, we've been able to achieve uh, with, with the liners alone. Again, no auxiliaries in this patient, no elastics, uh, no refinement done. And here we have a before and uh, on the left side versus ClinCheck and a final on the right side versus ClinCheck. She still has a skeletal class too, and, and really what we've done is, is we've camouflaged that just like you would with extractions, uh, but we've done that using IPR um, in, her, in her case. What about absolute anterior extrusion? Well, it's more effective if you add attachments to the teeth. If you have small uh, teeth, particularly peg-shaped lateral incisors can be very difficult to, to extrude without auxiliaries, and it, it basically is a, it's a surface area problem. If you have a small uh, tooth, like a peg-shaped lateral, there's just not much surface area for the aligner to grab a hold of the tooth, and also the anatomy of the tooth, um, because it tapers to the incisal edge, will make it difficult. There's, there's no mechanical retention of the, uh, of the aligner to the tooth. And so if you have a peg-shaped lateral, you're more likely to, to, um, to have to use auxiliaries, and that may mean using some elastics. Um, one place that you can help yourself is if the peg-shaped lateral has space on either side of it, you can do a temporary buildup with some composite or have, have the general dentist um, that you're working with uh, add some composite if you're not comfortable doing that yourself uh, before you take the PBS impressions. And that way you're increasing the surface area of the tooth. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a final restoration. It's just something to facilitate um, extru extrusion. So here's an example of absolute anterior extrusion. Uh, this patient was in her mid-70s, and when we look at the upper right lateral or upper right central incisor, we can see that it's infrarupted. I was initially uh, suspicious that this tooth might have might be ankylosed uh, because it was. I could not come up with an explanation for why she had one incisor that was infrarupted, um, but luckily. When we applied some force to the tooth, it did move. And we can see that I've got uh, horizontal beveled attachments in this case. These are the non-optimized ones. Uh, this was before those were introduced. And you can see that uh, they're, you know, they're quite aesthetic. Um, they're not, not very noticeable. Um, you, know, you really have to outline them to even pick them up. Some challenges with absolute anterior extrusion um, if you want to extrude an incisor with an aligner, you need a good interface between the aligner and the tooth, and that's what the attachment provides for you. The anatomy of the tooth or the attachment uh, can provide the interface between the, the aligner and the tooth. So if you've got a, a very wide central incisor, that's going to be typically easier to extrude than, than sort of a peg-shaped lateral. Again, here's the initial uh, photos on Alma. And we see her initial Panorex and head film. Notice that we've got some uh, incisors that, uh, lower incisors that are proclined. So we, we can, if we chose to, we could get some relative extrusion of those. I'm actually not going to do that in her case. And here we see on the ClinCheck that we're not using simultaneous tooth movement, but we do have absolute anterior extrusion of, of our upper right central. And then we're also um, extruding all of the incisors. Now, one of the problems I ran into with this treatment was uh, if you look at the initial ClinCheck and, and photos on the left and then look at these, I took some progress photos at stage 22 because my extrusion had, had halted. Um, she had stopped 
uh, extruding. And when I look at the ClinCheck at stage 22, I see that the patient is supposed to still have some space between the upper and lower incisors. But when I look at the patient clinically, uh, they actually, the upper and lower incisors are in contact. And so what's going on here? Why, do, why is the patient uh, more closed in, in, in the, in clinically than she, than she should have been on the ClinCheck? And this is the, this is the transient posterior intrusion that we see when patients are wearing aligners full time. So if you put some plastic between someone's back teeth and they're wearing the aligners or retainer, it could be retainers as well, uh, 20 hours a day or more, you will see some, some temporary uh, intrusion of the posterior teeth. And when they take their aligners out and they close down, they're going to be more, they're going to have more overbite than they, than they would show on ClinCheck. And in her case, that actually interfered with the bite closure because now I've got a clusal contact between the anterior teeth and, and my uh, extrusion is halted. And so I couldn't get the, the upper incisors extruded completely, and nor could I get the upper space closed completely because I ran out of overjet, and I, and I had now have contact. So what did I do in her case? Even though she's an open bite patient, when I did refinement, uh, I actually added what are called virtual bite ramps. And you can see those if you look on the, the ClinCheck on the right, that there are some what appear to be attachments on the lingual of the upper incisors. And there's, they are faux attachments. They're, they're, they're not designed to be, to be bonded to the teeth. But what they do is they allow the patient to uh, disclude their posterior teeth. And by doing that, it, it will make your ClinCheck uh, overbite match your clinical overbite. And so when I did refinement by adding the virtual bite ramps, I was able to both intrude the lower incisors more and extrude the upper incisors more so that I could rotate her occlusal plane. I wanted to increase her incisor uh, display and, and also make her smile arc uh, more harmonious with the lower lip. And so here, here she is final. So by adding the virtual bite ramps in, in, in an open bite patient, we normally wouldn't think of, of adding virtual bite ramps to an open bite patient. This is normally something I would use in a deep bite patient to, to try to open the bite up. But it did have a use in this particular case. And here we have the final Panorex and uh, before and after Ceph. And we did upright the lower uh, incisors. Uh, although we then intruded them so that we could actually get more extrusion of the upper incisors. What about absolute posterior intrusion? Well, again, we've just discussed the fact that we get a, a transient posterior intrusion during full-time aligner wear, and, and many of you have probably experienced this uh, where you're treating deep bite patients and you're, you're really having a hard time getting the bite to open uh, because that transient posterior intrusion uh, keeps deepening your bite. Uh, if you're having those problems, I would suggest you start adding virtual bite ramps to your, your deep bite and even normal overbite patients. It's difficult to, to get meaningful posterior intrusion with aligners alone. And again, we, we saw the example of transient posterior intrusion, uh, and that's evidenced by the fact that the patient that I just showed you at stage 22 has, has more overbite clinically uh, than they do in the ClinCheck. Again, here's a close-up of them, and we see at stage 33 up top that you can see some space in between the incisors, but clinically 
the teeth are, are overlapped. So again, there's our example of transient posterior intrusion. So I'm going to show you um, Megan, who we wanted to get some absolute posterior intrusion. And so we can see that Megan has uh, was treated with upper premolar extractions. Uh, she reported to me that when her braces came off, her open bite was was never re really closed. Um, they sort of she was in treatment for a, a, a good while as a teenager, and, and then finally. Um, I think her, both her and her orthodontist decided to just give up. Uh, so she was, you know, was someone who never had her open bite closed, even though they, they, they essentially tried to treat her as a class two camouflage by extracting upper premolars and also to, um, uh, to try to close the open bite with the extractions. So we see that she's got a pretty good anterior open bite and also a constricted upper arch. Uh, she has a crossbite tendency. Uh, of the, the upper first molars. She also has her wisdom teeth in place. Uh, again, this is a good example where, you know, getting the wisdom teeth out can, can help you if you're trying to intrude posterior teeth. So this is, this slide has a lot of uh, bullet points on it, but all of these are important. So what I'm going to describe for you now is how to use temporary anchorage devices or orthodontic mini implants, uh, as some people call them. Uh, to assist you in closing an open bite using aligners. And so I, I sort of call this an aligner uh, TAD um, uh, open bite closure as, as a Lefort 1 analog. So we're going to basically do slowly with orthodontic intrusion what the surgeon can do for us with surgical uh, movement of the Lef with the Lefort 1 of moving the maxilla up. So in this particular patient, um, I had two buckle and two palatal TADs placed at the same time that her wisdom teeth uh, were removed. Uh, I, I'm, I'm typically placing CADs myself if the patient needs other surgery, whether it be to uncover a canine or uh, extract teeth, and I'll, I'll usually have either my, my oral surgeon or periodontist placed, uh, place the CADs at the same time. You want to place these as far distally as possible because it gives you more of a biomechanical advantage. Um, if, you, if you really want to take the posterior teeth up as much as possible, the farther back you can place the CADs, the better. Um, in between the sixes and sevens would be the ideal location uh, if you have uh, root divergence there. Uh, in some cases where I've done this, I've actually had to put some limited brackets on the posterior teeth prior uh, to starting their Invisalign in order to diverge the roots so I could create a TAD site if, if the roots were very close together. If you have a crossbite present, you could omit, omit the palatal TADs, and then what this will do is uh, the elastics that we're going to describe and use would then cause some expansion of the upper arch uh, so that you could correct your crossbite at the same time. And then what you're going to do is you're going to sling an elastic from one tad to the other over the occlusal surface of the aligner and so that the elastic force is pushing up on the aligner and then also pushing up on the, on the posterior teeth. Uh, I use a very small elastic. It's a one-eighth inch, four-and-a-half ounce is what I start off with. Um, they actually, you can actually use, uh, as, as the intrusion uh, uh, occurs, you may need to go up to even a one-eighth inch, six or six-and-a-half ounce elastic. Uh, those are very small, and you need that small distance because the distance from one tab to the other is not very far. As the posterior teeth, maxillary teeth intrude, the mandible will auto-rotate closed, and the stability, at least from some initial um, reports, um, there was research that was done out of UNC that looked at both uh, mini-screw you know, TAD and bone plate uh, intrusion versus Lafort, and they, they basically were, were seeing that even with the five-year data they had, the stability seemed to be on par uh, with Lafort impactions. 
uh, of course, with much less morbidity. Here's Megan's head film x-ray, so we can see um, that she does have a skeletal component to her open bite. And here's uh, the day that she had her wisdom teeth removed. You can see there are sutures uh, where the wisdom teeth were removed, and she had the pads placed at the same time. Now, this is not, again, this is one of the reasons that I would usually like to place my own pads is this is not the ideal location uh, for me to, to have the tads placed, but um, my surgeon who was removing the, the wisdom teeth and placing the tads uh, made a, a decision at the, at the time of the surgery. Um, you know, this is a foramen here, and there is a blood vessel and nerve that come out right there, and that's not a good place to put a tad. So uh, she ruled out that as a location that would have been ideal. We probably perhaps could have gone a little um, more uh, superior to that, um, but she opted to place it more in the anterior region. And so we can see that we've, if, if I highlight here, we've got tads. Now, I've placed some composite over the tads on the palate, and that just makes it more comfortable for the patient so that the tad is, is a little sharp to their tongue. Um, the composite cushions the tad, and it also, you can, you can create more of an elastic hook with the tad so that the rubber bands uh, are easier to place. And so now we have Megan... Um, She's got some clear elastics on here, so I'll outline them. Here's what it looks like from the right buckle view. And again, so whenever she puts her aligners in, she puts the rubber band over them. So it's no more difficult than wearing a class two elastic. It's actually easier uh, because it, it, since it's intra-arch, um, it, it doesn't affect their, their upper and lower jaw. Now, you'll notice in the upper that you'll see a jump in the, in the position of the maxilla. So what that's simulating is when you're, when you're trying to do this in ClinCheck, you need to coordinate the arch forms, and then you ask the, your treat technician to create a surgical jump that simulates the bite closure that you're going to get from the TAD intrusion. And then the mandible can auto-rotate, so we'll look at it from the side view now. Notice that we're you're coordinating the arch forms, and you'll see a jump in the maxilla. And it doesn't matter if you jump the upper jaw or the lower jaw. What you want to do is simulate intrusion and then auto-rotation of the mandible. And here we have stage zero, stage eight, and stage nine, which shows the surgical simulation. And here we have some progress photos. Okay, so uh, initial is the top photo, and then we have the intrusion that was started in October of 2009. Here she is with the aligners in place and the elastics in place. And here we have progress photos, which are seven months later. And this patient's not finished. She actually moved to, to South Carolina, and I've, I've transferred her to an orthodontist friend of mine there in Columbia. And um, he's following her now and has just um, reported to me that we've, we've got even more closure of the bite. So I'm going to get some final photos from him and, and update uh, my, my presentation on this. But you can see in seven months' time, we've gotten almost complete closure of the, the anterior open bite. And so, you know, really for that time frame, uh, a, a very significant amount of posterior intrusion. And again, when the patient has the aligner in, because of the thickness of the aligner, they will appear to be more open anteriorly. And so for somebody who has an open bite, you just have to warn them about that, that with the aligners in place, their open bite will actually appear worse. Okay, so that moves me on to another example of absolute posterior intrusion, and this is Linden. And 
Linden was um, had developed an, an anterior open bite secondary to a disc displacement on the left side. Um, she had a severe uh, disc displacement on the left and that went undiagnosed for a period of time, and the disc displacement actually caused uh, some resorption of her left condyle. Um, by the time she finally got to a dentist who figured out what had happened and, and sent her for an MRI, uh, the damage had already been done to the condyle. She then subsequently had uh, an open joint uh, procedure um, to um, recapture the disc, uh, but she had already lost some of the condyle. So this is not an idiopathic condylar resorption uh, that was worsening and progressing. There was a, uh, a clear and distinct reason for her condylar resorption. The process had stopped, and she was... Um, Luckily for me, um, she had gotten to a dentist who made her a, a properly fabricated uh, splint. Uh, she was having tremendous TMJ pain, and what the splint did for me was it kept the maxilla li level um, by having you know, all the contact, by preserving all the contacts between the splint and the, the upper splint and the lower teeth. Um, normally, in a case like this, you would develop a, a cant to the maxilla um, as, as the upper teeth try to compensate uh, and superrupt. But um, they were able to, by having the splint in place, keep the, the maxilla level, and all of her cant is actually in the lower jaw. And so if we look, um, the only place she has contact, and this, these photos were taken in centric relation, um, the only place she has contact is on the left side uh, at the sixes and sevens. So her history of condyle resorption um, and joint surgery the, she basically was wearing her TMJ splint 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even when eating. Uh, when she took the splint out, she was absolutely in horrendous pain. On a scale from one to ten, when I asked her that, what, you know, what is your daily pain when I first met her, she said, you know, 11 or 12. The open bite had been stable, and that's important. You would not want to start open bite closure on a patient who has idiopathic condylar resorption or is progressing. So if you suspect idiopathic condylar resorption, um, you need to take uh, have a bone scan done to make sure that the condyles are not actively resorbing. Uh, we, I referred her initially for a jaw surgery evaluation uh, to the oral surgeon that had done her uh, joint procedure, uh, but she she declined the surgical option and she wanted um, wanted to see if we could close at least partially the open bite both orthodontically and restoratively. So that became the new goal was to close the open bite as much as possible orthodontically and then. Um, depending on how close we got that, possibly a full mouth reconstruction to reestablish a functional bite for her. This is her initial panorex, and you can see the difference between the left and right condyle, how much shorter the left condyle is. So the plan for her, since the only teeth that are contacting are the lower left, or the, I'm sorry, the, le the left posterior teeth, and the cant is, is in the mandible only, I'm going to have I'm going to place one tad here between the six and seven, and I'm going to use upper Invisalign and lower braces, and and I'll tell you my rationale for that. Since she was in a splint 24/7, I was a little worried about um, removing her, her TMJ splint and treating her with um, conventional appliances for sure. Um, in, in the upper and lower, really worried me because of the the fact that she was even wearing the splint to eat. Uh, I I would like to use a buccal and lingual tad in this case to control the transverse dimension of the teeth, but that really is not possible because you can't really put a tad in the in the mandible uh, uh, on the lingual on the posterior there. Um, it's it's not not a good place from an anatomical standpoint. Um, blood vessels, nerves, and also the tongue 
uh, make it a difficult place. So we needed to use uh, fixed appliances in the lower, and we were going to use Invisalign in the upper to give her a splint-type effect. Here we can see on her head film that there's quite a step between the two borders of the mandible and also between the uh, the molars in the lower jaw from one side to the other. That's out, is outlined by my lines here. And she does have a um, quite an anterior, anterior open bite. So I want to run through her ClinCheck sequence. I used ClinCheck for as a therapeutic diagnostic tool in her case. I wanted um, to see how much we could close the open bite um, by allowing auto rotation. And really what I'm going to show you is stage one is, is a virtual setup of the lower teeth. So again, since I'm using braces, uh, I'm going to show all the movement in just one stage uh, to show the, the simulation um, that my treat technician will We'll do a setup of the lower arch for me that shows alignment of the teeth and also intrusion of the of the left side. And then stage two is the surgical jump that will simulate the auto rotation uh, and bite closure. Now I gave my treat technician some guidelines here, and the way I did this was I, I basically digitized her Ceph pre-treatment, and then I intruded her molars using dolphin using the prediction software with dolphin imaging and then I allowed the mandible to auto-rotate until the bite was closed, and then I was able to see how far forward my lower incisors came, both vertically and horizontally, um, and I gave those numbers to the treat technician. So we were really try getting a true um, auto-rotation of the mandible number. It wasn't just a guess. And then stages 3 through 12 were to align and coordinate the upper arch form with the lower. So here we see intrusion of the lower left posterior teeth and alignment, and you can see on the superimposition tool how much the lower uh, teeth or how much I'm aiming for in terms of intrusion, about three millimeters. And then the auto-rotation of the mandible. This was not a pre and post um, tracing. This is the, the prediction auto of the auto-rotation uh, that I generated from, from Dolphin. And we can see um, on the left side you know, how much uh, auto-rotation uh, that we expect and how much farther forward and up the chin comes. So it's going to help her class two uh, relationship by bringing the chin up and forward. Um, it's going to reduce her, uh, her mandibular deficiency. And so here we have some, uh, some photos for Lyndon. Um, I started the intrusion on uh, May 19th of 2008. And then here she is June, a month later. We, I'm sorry, I didn't start. The, uh, I, I misspoke. This is a progress photo of the intrusion. We can see that the bite is starting to close, and then here's one month later in the lower photos. Um, so, uh, you know, a big change from, from May to June in, in her case. I used two different tab locations, and I'll show you those in just a second. We can see that the, when we started that the mandible was where the cant was. Then here's her pre and post uh, sets that show that the, uh, the mandible auto-rotated, and we now have uh, bite closure. I uh, ended up using two different TAD locations. I started off with the TAD between the 6 and 7. One of the problems in this area is you start to, uh, as you start to get near the, the external oblique ridge, the, uh, it, it becomes technically challenging to get the TAD low enough. And so uh, after I had gotten some intrusion of the molars, I ended up losing that TAD. It got loose, and I ended up having to come farther forward. I would have liked to put it between the 5 and 6. Uh, but there wasn't enough root divergence there, so as a second choice, I used uh, a tab between the four and five. 
And because the distance between the tab and the arch wire is not very far, you can't use a, a nitai spring here. Uh, so I used uh, just some uh, e-chain. And so here we have uh, Lyndon at her re revision impressions. And really the refinement in her case was, and I, I took the lower br braces off and, and actually held her, um, you know, uh, or actually I left her lower braces on after the intrusion was completed for a few months just to check for stability. And then when the, as the bike was staying closed for, for months, uh, I took the lower braces off and did a, did a refinement upper and lower impressions just to, for a few little rotations, um, just to really perfect her occlusion. And here's her initial and final. So just to um, talk a little bit about uh, the open bite and cross bite patient. So with braces, it is difficult to expand without opening the bite. And I touched on that at the beginning of the presentation. Um, if you're trying to correct a patient who has both a constricted upper arch and either cross bite or cross bite tendency and also has an open bite at the same time, and you're trying to do that with braces, as you, um, are, as you are jumping the cross bite, you're going to tend to see that patient open up. And then it, uh, it can be very difficult to get that, that open, uh, that bite opening closed back down again. And so typically what we do with braces is we'll use anterior box elastics to try to counteract um, that extrusive um, bite opening that we see with braces. Uh, with Invisalign, it's possible to expand posteriorly while extruding anteriorly and control your, your posterior vertical dimension all at the same time. So the occlusal coverage of, of the aligners um, give us the ability to control that vertical dimension while we're expanding posteriorly. And so that, that all sort of culminates in, in this patient uh, that I want to show. And this is a 19-year-old, I believe, at the time I, I used Invisalign Teen in the upper on him, and I used uh, ceramic brackets in the lower. And um, the reason I, I opted to treat the lower arch uh, with braces in his case was because of the canine, uh, the lower right canine. If you look at it from the occlusal view here, you see that it's 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 overlapped with the lateral incisor. So you know, a, roughly half of this tooth is blocked uh, because of the, the overlap of the other teeth. So there's not much of the, the, the surface area of the crown that's exposed. So that means that there's not much interface for the aligner to grab a hold of the tooth. And if you look at where the tooth starts, it needs significant rotation. It also needs significant extrusion, and it needs uh, the, the tip on the tooth to be changed. So those are all very challenging movements. And when you, if you had 100% of the surface area of the tooth accessible, um, then it, it is possible to do that with Invisalign. Uh, but in his case, I knew that the, the likelihood of me succeeding in both rotating, extruding, and tipping that tooth um, without some fixed appliances was going to be greatly reduced. So we can see he's got a complete posterior crossbite. You know, and we talked to him about uh, jaw surgery as, a, as, a, as a, an option, and, you know, both he and his parents uh, wanted, they really wanted as much improvement as I could give him uh, without doing uh, a surgical uh, intervention, such as surgically-assisted rapid palatal expansion um, or, uh, you know, or a multi-piece Lafort osteotomy. We can see on the Panorex that we have uh, impacted wisdom teeth. We also have, in between the first premolar and, and canine on the lower right, we have some odontomas. Now, in his case, again, we're, we're using... I'm using ClinCheck as my therapeutic diagnostic tool. 
Um, when I when I ran through these ClinCheck options, I wasn't sure if I was going to extract teeth because of the amount of crowding. So I wanted to use ClinCheck to help help me decide what what to do with him. Should I extract? Should I treat him with IPR? Um, I wanted to run through all the different options before we made any ir- irreversible decisions. And so since I wasn't sure if we were going to take out premolar teeth, um, we waited to take out the uh, odontomas uh, so that we, he, would, he would only have surgery once. So he would, if he was going to lose wisdom teeth uh, or a premolar, uh, then he could get the odontomas removed at the same time. And we see on the head film x-ray um, how, again, a you know, very significant uh uh, anterior open bite here with a skeletal component. He has a high angle, and he has a, a very open gonial angle, and we have a posterior tip down, posteriorly tipped down palatal plane. So we have a lot of skeletal components uh, to this open bite. And if I put this kid in upper and lower braces and let the teeth align after six or nine months, uh, he's probably going to open up even more. So I'm going to show you his ClinCheck. You notice that the lower arch aligned uh, in one jump because we're again we're using ClinCheck just to simulate the alignment of the lower teeth since that's going to happen uh, occur with braces. You know a, a significant amount of, of expansion in this case. Now, I had also uh, anticipated using some tads in his case. Uh, I wasn't really expecting as much closure of this open bite. And I'll show you from the occlusal views. And the lower is going to jump in just one, uh, just to show uh, reciprocal alignment of the teeth. Now, these were progress photos I took on him. As, as I... Uh, finished with my last upper aligner. You notice that the arch form in the upper is greatly improved. Um, the interesting thing was the upper arch actually aligned faster uh, with Invisalign than the lower arch did with braces. I mean, he was more crowded than the lower, to be fair. Um, but if you look at my lower arch, I'm not completely aligned and leveled yet. Um, I, I had to stay in round uh, nikai for quite some time because of the rotation on the canine uh, for that to work out. And at this point, um, you know, I was very pleased with the amount of the expansion I was able to achieve and also still maintain some positive overbite, uh, at least at the uh, central incisors in the interior. You know, and at this point, uh, I took his braces off and basically took refinement impressions. He's not completed yet, but, you know, based on where he is at this point, um, this is not, you know, not a terribly difficult patient to finish with refinement. Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, it'll take maybe 10 aligners from here, uh, uh, 10 or 12 aligners from here to close the remaining open bite. I'm going to add some IPR. It's actually in refinement now. Um, add some IPR on the lower left to move the midline, um, and then also uh, some IPR on the lower to try to increase the overjet and deepen, that, which will allow me to retract and extrude the lower incisors a little bit more. Um, if I think if I had tried to do this with braces, um, you know, there, there's no way that I would have been able to close his but keep his, his, his open bite from getting worse. And here we have before and after on the Ceph. So, again, the occlusal coverage gives us very good vertical control when using aligners uh, for both um, for open bite closure. And it is one of the, you know, this is sort of the, 
one of the things that I didn't appreciate until much later in my Invisalign use is that it is possible to achieve both expansion and control the vertical at the same time, and that's not something I've figured out uh, a good way to do that with braces yet. For our more severe open bites, we can use TADS uh, to produce an open bite closure that's really similar in magnitude to what we would see with a Lafort. And that concludes my presentation. I want to thank everyone who's, who's on the line. Dr. Gary, thank you so much. Um, a couple of quick uh, reminders. Please go to the link that's on your screen right now to take your survey and to get your CE certificate. Again, I want to thank Dr. Gary uh, for a great presentation and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us. And we look forward to seeing you on another ASCII Expert program. Thanks very much and have a great weekend. Thanks. And thank you everyone for listening.